Thank you for listening to the Council of Institutional Investors Voice of Corporate Governance, ranked by Feedspot as the number one corporate governance podcast globally. I'm Jeff Mahoney, General Counsel of CII. The purpose of these monthly episodes is to update CI members and the general public on significant developments in U.S. corporate governance and capital markets regulation and CII's related advocacy activities. This update covers a period from January 29th to February 23rd, 2024. The following is my top 10 list of events over that period. Number 10, on February 1st, U.S. Senator Bill Haggerty of Tennessee introduced S-3703, the Rejecting Extremist Shareholder Proposals that Inhibit and Thwart Enterprise for Businesses Act. The bill would establish that public companies may exclude shareholder proposals that interfere with their ordinary business operations, regardless of whether the proposal concerns a significant social policy issue. Representative John Rose of Tennessee introduced companion legislation in the U.S. House of Representatives. If enacted into law, the legislation would upend the traditional practice of the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission, recognizing that certain social policy issues rise to a level of importance such that it would not be appropriate to characterize them as ordinary business. Senator Hagerty said, For too long, the SEC has enabled progressive activists to commandeer American companies to advance extreme political causes. My legislation frees companies from being forced to consider harmful and irrelevant shareholder proposals, helping them steer clear of progressive politics and focus on creating jobs for Americans. Number nine, on February 13th, speaking at Yale Law School, Securities and Exchange Commission Chair Gary Gensler discussed the opportunities and challenges associated with the use of artificial intelligence in capital markets. In his speech, Chair Gensler argued that although AI could promote greater financial inclusion and enhanced user experience, it could also make biased decisions, produce inaccurate results, and generate unexplainable outcomes. Observing that thousands of financial entities are looking to build downstream applications, relying on what is likely to be but a handful of base models upstream, he expressed concern that such a development would promote both herding and network interconnectedness, which he described as classic problems that lead to systemic risk. Although he acknowledged that current model risk management guidance will need to be updated, Chair Gensler argued that it won't be sufficient, said the potential financial stability challenges that AI may pose in the future will require new thinking on system-wide or macro-prudential policy interventions. Chair Gensler also stressed that as AI disclosures by SEC registrants increase, the basics of good securities lawyering still apply, noting that investors benefit from disclosures particularized to a company, but not from boilerplate language about the potential operational, legal, and competitive risks associated with AI. Number eight, on February 14th, speaking at the National Association of Business Economics 40th Annual Economic Policy Conference, Federal Reserve Vice Chair for Supervision Michael S. Barr discussed lessons learned from the spring 2023 bank failures and current banking system conditions. Vice Chair Barr noted that although the sector remains sound and resilient, there are a few pockets of risk that regulators continue to watch, including the pandemic's persistent impact on office commercial real estate in certain central business districts. 
Observing that Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank experienced large deposit outflows, they also faced challenges meeting them with available assets. Vice Chair Barr argued that challenges with monetization can be especially acute for securities designated as held to maturity. Observe that many banks have been analyzing these dynamics and have taken steps to address these risks. Specifically, reported that over the past year, Federal Reserve has seen banks reducing the reliance on held maturity for liquidity purposes, adjusting the composition of their high-quality liquid asset portfolios, and enhancing their ability to tap different sources of liquidity. Of note, in April 2023, Council of Institutional Investors submitted an agenda request to the Financial Accounting Standards Board to consider eliminating the held-to-maturity classification of debt securities and approving financial instrument footnote disclosures about liquidity risk and interest rate risk. An upcoming Voice of Corporate Governance podcast will include an interview with Professor Stephen G. Ryan of New York University. Professor Ryan is the co-author of a recent research paper entitled Banks' Motivations for Designated Securities as Held Maturity. That paper provides empirical evidence supporting CI's request to the Financial Accounting Standards Board. Number seven, on February 16th, 42 House Democrats, led by House Financial Services Committee Ranking Member Maxine Waters, California, sent a letter to the Federal Reserve, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, and the Office of the Comptroller of Currency, requesting that they finalize the following two proposals this year. One, the interagency Basel III endgame proposal, and two, the Federal Reserve's proposal to recalibrate the global systemically important bank's surcharge. The letter argues that finalizing these two proposals this year would ensure that the U.S. has a banking system that will promote stable economic growth for the benefit of constituents in our congressional districts and communities across the country. Alleging that the Federal Banking Agency's 2019 tailoring rules, including the ability of Category 3 and 4 banks to opt out of recognizing accumulated other comprehensive income and regulatory capital, set in motion a significant reduction in large bank capital levels. Lawmakers contend that the Basel III endgame and global systemically important banks' surcharge proposals will help address glaring weaknesses with bank capital rules in three ways. One, addressing the accumulated other comprehensive income opt-out issue. Two, reducing the ability of large banks to use internal models for measuring capital requirements. And three, better reflecting globally systemically important banks' systemic risk and preventing them from gaming the requirements to lower their capital buffers. Accordingly, the members of Congress urge the agencies to reject suggestions that materially weaken, if not block, the implementation of these safeguards and to move forward with the timely completion of these important rules. Number six, on February 7th, the yours truly and Council of Institutional Investor U.S. Asset Owner members Jonathan Grable, CIO of the Los Angeles County Retirement Association, Tracy Sophia Harris, trustee of the D.C. Retirement Board and current member of the CII Board, Stanford Sandy Rich, Executive Director at the New York City Board of Education Retirement System, Chena Sanchez, trustee at the Los Angeles County Employees Retirement Association, and Amy Copeland McGarity, Chief Investment Officer at the Colorado Public Employees Retirement Association were all appointed or reappointed to the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board's Investor Advisory Group. And yours truly and Margaret Ferran, 
Chief Governance Officer, Senior Vice President and Corporate Counsel at Prudential Financial, and current CII board member, were reappointed to the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board's Standards and Emerging Issues Advisory Group. The Investor Advisory Group provides the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board with investors' perspectives on the PCOB's agenda and its standards, and the Emerging Issues Advisory Group advises the PCOB on existing standards, proposed standards, potential new standards, and other matters such as emerging issues. Number five, on February 1st, the Council of Institutional Investors Executive Director Amy Boris issued the following statement on the Delaware Court of Chancery's January 30th ruling on Tesla. Quote, Chancellor Kathleen St. Jude McCormick's January 30th ruling striking down Tesla's 2018 compensation package for CEO Elon Musk highlights the important role of state courts and corporate law in ensuring that boards make decisions about CEO pay in a truly independent manner. As reflected in CI's membership-approved policies on corporate governance, executive compensation is a critical component of corporate governance, and good governance demands that boards be wholly independent from the chief executive when setting and reviewing the CEO's compensation, unquote. Number four, on February 20th, Delaware Vice Chancellor Travis Laster ruled that for now, TripAdvisor may proceed with its plans to reincorporate from Delaware to Nevada. Decision comes just two weeks after Elon Musk, reacting to the Delaware decision I just referenced, tweeted that companies should leave Delaware before they lock the doors, as they just did with TripAdvisor. Although Vice Chancellor Laster said the TripAdvisor case did not warrant the Delaware Chancery Court blocking the move, he denied TripAdvisor's motion to dismiss a lawsuit brought last year by TripAdvisor shareholders who said the move to Nevada was designed to benefit Greg Maffei, the controlling stockholder and a board member of TripAdvisor, a Liberty Media-affiliated company with a dual-class structure. The reincorporation was put to a vote and passed with votes from the controlling shareholders, even though the majority of public shareholders voted against it. Vice Chancellor Laster said shareholders could still seek damages if the relocation sinks the share price. Notably, he said that whether the company's stock traded at a different price post-reincorporation could help the court assess damages. The decision to move appears to have been influenced by legal actions against TripAdvisor's parent company. Since 2012, eight companies affiliated with Liberty Media have been the subject of shareholder lawsuits in Delaware and five of those lawsuits occurring in the preceding five years. Nevada law has more protective standards and rules for defendants in breach of fiduciary duty claims. Mr. Musk already has moved two of his companies, X and Neuralink, out of Delaware and has filed to move SpaceX as well. Number three, on February 9th, Council of Institutional Investors signed on to a statement published by the International Corporate Governance Network advocating for corporate governance standards and shareholder protections to be maintained at UK-listed companies. Statement is in response to the current Financial Conduct Authority's consultation that includes proposals to replace the standard and premium segments on the London Stock Exchange with a single listing category to introduce a more permissive approach to dual-class capital structures with few investor safeguards and remove shareholder votes prior to significant and related party transactions. 
Many CII members also co-signed the statement. The deadline for comments on the consultation is March 22nd. Number two, on February 8th, the Council of Institutional Investors issued the following statement in response to ExxonMobil's intent to pursue a lawsuit in federal district court against proponents of a shareholder proposal dealing with the energy giant's greenhouse gas emissions despite the proponent's withdrawal of the proposal. CIA statement says, quote, We believe the SEC's Rule 14A8 no-action process generally is superior to litigating differences over whether shareholder proposals should be included on proxy ballots. Companies have a right to bypass the SEC no-action process and go to court try to keep shareholder proposals they do not like off their proxy ballots, but experience suggests that most market participants view the SEC's division of corporation finance as a fair arbiter, even if one may disagree with result in a particular case. In 1983, the SEC sought public input on alternatives to Rule 14A8, which governs the shareholder proposal process, including leaving the area to state law. There was nearly universal opposition at the time to such alternatives, and we do not believe that the situation has changed so much that such a radical change is warranted now, unquote. And my number one most significant development in corporate governance capital markets regulation during the period from January 29th to February 26th occurred on February 23rd, when Judge Amit P. Mehta of the United States District Court of the District of Columbia issued his opinion in the case of Institutional Shareholder Services versus the Securities and Exchange Commission. The issue before the court was whether proxy advisor firms solicit proxies within the meaning of Section 14A of the Securities and Exchange Act of 1934. On that issue, Judge Mehta concluded in part, the court holds that the SEC acted contrary to law and in excess of statutory authority when it amended the proxy rules definition of solicit and solicitation to include proxy voting advice for a fee. The ordinary meaning of those terms when Congress enacted the Exchange Act 1934 did not encompass voting advice delivered by a person or firm with no interest in the outcome of the vote. Accordingly, the court grants plaintiff's motion and denies the motions filed by the SEC and the National Association of Manufacturers. The decision effectively vacates the SEC's September 2020 rule entitled Exemptions from the Proxy Rules for Proxy Voting Advice. That rule provided the basis for the SEC's regulation of proxy advisor firms under the proxy rules. Judge Mehta's decision was consistent with views expressed in an October 2020 joint amicus brief submitted to the court by the Council of Institutional Investors, the California Public Employees Retirement System, California State Controller, the California State Teachers Retirement System, CFA Institute, Colorado Public Employees Retirement Association, Comptroller of the City of New York, CTW Investment Group, and the Los Angeles County Employees Retirement Association. Brief argued that the SEC's determination that proxy voting advice delivered to an investor requesting that advice constitutes a solicitation under Section 14A is contrary to law and arbitrary and capricious. Judge Mehta's decision was also consistent with multiple comment letters submitted by CII to the SEC over a period of years, the most recent of which was a letter dated December 2021. That completes my monthly corporate governance capital markets update. If you have any questions regarding any of the issues discussed, please feel free to email me at jeff, J-E-F-F, at C-I-I dot O-R-G. Until next time, I'm Jeff Mahoney. Thanks again for listening to the Voice of Corporate Governance. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of The Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.